That was the J-Cut, and this is a K-Cut, a movie podcast for movie fans. My name is Andreas. I'm the creator and one of the writers over at Films Fatale. I love international and art house cinema, but I also like a little bit of everything in between. Um, one of those we will get into today. Who else is with me? James here. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I am one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. I've also contributed to Films Fatale myself, and my interests mainly lie in 70s cinema and no-budget cinema. I'm Rachel. I also write for Films Fatale. My column just relaunched, so go check it out. And I love world cinema, uh, classic movies, silent film, and lost films. And today, I was thinking about the types of movies I like. And... Well, so from the very beginning of this podcast, I have been threatening the guys with a musical episode. At first, I was going to make them sing the whole way through, but they talked me down. So today we're just going to discuss musicals. First half will be about a musical we like that we want to shout out. And then the second half will be um, a film we think should be a musical, which is actually a really hard question because a lot of films have been adapted into either stage or screen musicals or both. So, yeah, who wants to start? I'll go. Okay. So I was trying to think of musicals that I like, or just musical films in general I like, and I'm not really that big into musicals, but this is actually something I, I can't remember which episode I brought this up on, but I, I brought this film before, but I'm going to go with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. Just because... There is just something so magical about this piece of work. I think everything from the set design to the costumes and to the way that the music kind of ties everything together. And who doesn't love Gene Wilder? Like, he he was meant for that role. Yeah, he was wonderful. And I think that film is very underrated as a musical. It's thought of more, oh, charming kids movie. But the music is quite good and it really suits what's going on. They use their motifs really well. Oh, yeah. And especially with the song with the Oompa Loompas. Yes. Yeah, it was. Uh, I had, and I actually um, years later, I had actually seen a performance of it at a local theater once. So I actually had seen it performed live with an actual like musical group, and it was definitely interesting because I was like, "Man, this is nothing like the movie." But I was like, just in general, this the way this you know is put together anyway is just so cool. I wonder if anyone's ever tried to bring it to Broadway. Oh, they probably have. Um, yeah, this is such an interesting pick because I feel like this film kind of feels like what a lot of other family films or even particularly animated films like Disney are thought of. Um, a lot of people consider them like, you know, family films that they grew up on. But like when it comes to the musical conversation, they never say, oh, yeah, The Lion King's like my favorite musical. Yet the whole thing is basically a musical. So... I feel like it's an interesting choice, especially because when I view the film through the lens of like just a standard film or a family film, I think it's pretty good, maybe not exemplary, but like through the lens of a musical, yeah, it's got some pretty solid numbers. It's got the prestige, like as a musical, it kind of fits really nicely. It's also one of those family films that doesn't talk down to children, like, there's a lot of very dark, serious subject matter in it, but it's presented in this way that is very accessible, and I think that's great. Oh, and then you have that tunnel scene where you, like, literally see a chicken getting his head cut off, and what is it, like, the like the centipede across a dude's face? My favorite thing about that was the entire cast knew nothing of that scene, <laughs> except for Gene Wilder, and he also improvised that whole thing, and everyone's reaction was actually real. He improvised it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he improvised it. 
Yeah, because I knew the cast didn't know, but I had no idea he improvised it. That That is wild. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was improvised. I'm not sure about that part, but I do know for sure that he improvised the part where he, like, first exits the factory and he, like, tumbles. And, like, he gives everybody, yes. like, a slight heart attack. That's for sure improvised. <laughs> like, uh, I know he did a lot on the set, so if he pulled off, yeah. Also, Gene Wilder over Tim Burton version, right? Oh, yeah. definitely. No, but funny with that opening, um, the one where he stumbles, no one had met him yet and didn't realize that was going to happen. So when he's like kind of like stumbling out, they're like, what's going on? And then they re- and it clicks what's going on. And then then they cheer. It's like, oh, man, you don't you don't get performers like that. That can just kind of, you know, they even have the people who are involved kind of wondering what's next. It was always shown as an Easter film when I was growing up, because I guess Easter candy. But I'm like, did you actually watch and see what happens when any of them try the candy? Also, obligatory, what the heck, Grandpa Joe, lying in bed for 20 years. I know, he just pops out, yeah. I've seen all sorts of Grandpa Joe slander these days, and I'm all for it, because that man was a menace, that whole movie. Like, you don't realize it, because you're like, oh, cute old man, he's taking his grandson to, you know... To the chocolate factory, it's like, no, this is, he's the one who gets him in the most trouble. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah. uh, The film's nostalgic by Boycott Grandpa Joe. (laughs) And the music is just great. Oh, yeah. And uh, by by that point, Gene Wilder was such a showman. Like, all of his stuff with Mel Brooks, which, if you're a... uh, Gene Wilder fan from this particular film, but you haven't seen a young Frankenstein, which could be his magnum opus. Go do it. Go do it. It's one of the great comedic performances I've ever seen. And both young Frankenstein and more famously, the producers have been now made into stage musicals. I know the producers has a musical in it, but it actually is a full musical for beginning to end in its new incarnation. So, that, so he's clearly a, a theatrical genius. Either that or, like, at least the source of inspiration when it comes to this type of venture. Like, hey, let's stem something life full of life and musical from, like, this source material. And I guess, um, okay, The Producers is about a musical. But um, I, I just feel like Gene Wilder himself just elicits. He's kind of like our version of Eric Idle. Like, he just elicits, like, that sort of entertainment where you just expect a song or dance out of him exactly. and just entertainment all around. Like you said. Exactly. Um, on my end, look, okay, so I've got a few films that I would consider like the greatest musicals of all time. Like Singing in the Rain, I think is kind of the de facto one. Um, and there's a lot of films that I feel like are like the – unorthodox versions of this question, like one of the most interesting music, movie musicals because nothing else is like them, like Lars von Trier's Dancer in the Dark, uh, that sort of a thing. Maybe Annette, which just came out by Leo Carax. Um, Annette was wild. Exactly. Um, just so so out of left field. But I don't know what it is. Whatever this type of question comes up, there's only like one answer that I have to go with. It's the one that kind of like I view it as the absolute final nail in the coffin of the great Hollywood musical when it was well on its way out and is the source of inspiration for like the great revisionist musical that we're seeing now. And that's all that jazz by Bob Fosse. I mean, that's the only thing that comes to my mind whenever I think of like my favorite musicals. And it's not necessarily like my 
favorite, favorite musical. It's certainly amongst my top five, but it's always the one that just comes first because I feel like it's such an antithesis of the movie musical, but at the same time, it ticks off all the right boxes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Which boxes does it tick? So it's got the song numbers throughout the film. Um, It's got... The choreography, it's got the the moods, like you know, the pacing, the uh, the activity, the you know, it, it it's clearly a musical, but at the same time, it's like a musical that's trying to also kill the genre at the same time, in the same way that uh, Unforgiven by Clint Eastwood is a final send off to the old Hollywood western before this new wave of revisionist stuff came out because you know kevin costner did dances with wolves but that was like a tribute to the western unforgiven feels like a way to kill off the old western once and for all and that's what all that jazz feels like to me personally like uh here's bob fossey who um was really one of the greats in in the genre whether it's on stage or in cinema Uh, but at the same time he continuously through cabaret through this film through Chicago on stage, I know there's the Rob Marshall one that won Best Picture, but that's as much as I think the film's actually pretty good. It kind of also misses the point of what Bob Fosse was doing, where he was like stripping down the kind of flight of fancy of the of the Hollywood musical. Um, that's the thing; it's so full of life, like standard musicals, but at the same time, it's like the barren stage the gritty reality of life. Um, It's very messy when it comes to the people within and the characters. The characters are not stemming from your imagination, like a Gene Kelly production. They're very real, but at the same time, you get carried away with them as they deviate from reality and they have this escapism. Like I just, I think Bob Fosse is just one of the best to ever do it. Oh yeah. Now would you say Cabaret did anything to destabilize the genre? Oh yeah. At least to some degree. I feel like Cabaret was, his foray into cinema. Um, and it's a damn good film as well. Um, I feel like because I was dealing with heavy subject matter, like, you know, the, the rise of Nazism during world war or like right before world war two, um, a lot of what was going on with poverty and the subcultures. Um, that's a little bit different. I feel like once that did really well, uh, and you know, he made stuff in between, but like all that jazz was his way of basically saying, you know what? So for listeners at home that don't know, it's semi-autobiographical. It's about him basically accepting his faults, like his many adulteries, his addictions, um, and just how he runs himself basically to the ground, overworking himself. Um, it's semi-autobiographical, and it stars one of my all-time favorite performances by, um, oh my god, why am I forgetting his name? Oh, Roy Scheider. Yes, thank you. As far as one of my all-time favorite performances by Roy Scheider, who basically plays the Fosse character, um, this man who's basically overworking himself and like basically killing himself to do what he's doing, but also sub- subjecting himself to all of his addictions and all of his perversions. And um, I think it's just such a raw anti-musical musical because you wouldn't see that type of vulnerability or... Um, purity and visceral rawness in a musical you, you you typically see again escapism like oh let's view the world in a different lens no this is reality but you know i feel like something like all that jazz paved the way for something like i brought up earlier dancer in the dark where you could stare at reality but also accept this side of the genre you know where it's acceptable to still have music and melodies playing amidst such i don't know like 
difficult subject matter. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Rachel? What did you go with? I went way more conventional and kind of more in the direction of James. And this is not really a genre bender. This didn't really change things. It's just a darn good movie, and that is Mary Poppins. Ah, yes. Shall we all do our worst Cockney accents in honor of Dick Van Dyke? Oh, yeah. Well, I know so many kids who injured themselves trying to do the choreography to step in time. Oh, yeah. So I just think of this as such a stellar, strong product all around. The set designs are fabulous. The music's fantastic. Feed the Birds was Disney's favorite song out of all his films, and he had it play at his funeral. And it's just a great all-around show. And Julie Andrews was perfect. This was her big introduction in Hollywood after the whole My Fair Lady debacle. And she took this character, which could have been so saccharine and so boring, and she just gave her the edge she needed. And um, it's really because of her that the movie works. And I think it's great that she's one of very few actors to have won an Academy Award for a family film. Like, that just doesn't happen much. The character of Mary Poppins is so fascinating, and I feel like a lot of that's attributed to um, Julie Andrews. Like you said, I know the original author of Mary Poppins didn't care for the film One Iota, but like. Yeah, the books are even grittier. Oh, yeah, which uh, apparently, so I've heard, and this kind of, like, is more um, whimsical in in comparison, which I can imagine that's why she was so upset about them. But go back to Julie Andrews, um, what an idiosyncratic character. Like, you don't find many characters outside of family films, or especially within family films, this singular, where it's like, even with Emily Blunt's interpretation, and she does a great job, are there any characters like Julie Andrews's um, Mary Poppins that you can think of off the top of your head? Because I can't. I, I honestly can't. No, and she's never, like, you never know how much she knows. You never know where you stand with her, what's real, what isn't. I guess it is a little bit like all that jazz in that regard, but on a much tamer level. <laughs> much tamer level. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, it's it's a movie that lives in my heart, and I can sing the whole soundtrack verbatim, and it's just splendid and if you haven't seen it boo shame on you go watch it (laughs) and i feel like it was also responsible for like this obsession with live action mixed with animation and you know we got it with bend knobs and broomsticks was black cauldron like that as well i don't remember Mm -hmm. yeah like a, a number of films even disney related came after that because it just felt like this untouchable family film. And I feel like so many films afterwards, especially ones that we grew up on, like I would point to something like Matilda, for instance, you know, it's not a musical, but like just that sense of whimsy that comes from the musical genre. Yeah. Also rolled doll like Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Yeah. That's also true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I just think it's, it's a top notch example of a musical movie and it's so much fun that you can't help but get caught up in it, even if musicals aren't really your jam. And like you were saying before, Andreas, family films, Disney films really are underrated as musicals. I know some of them have made the transition to Broadway, but it really wasn't until we got to the Ashman era that I think people really appreciate. I feel like something like Mary Poppins is one that's kind of, it, it defies what I was saying before, where people don't consider a lot of Disney films musicals, even though they basically are Mary Poppins. I mean, if you look at that and you don't say it's a musical, I think you're like out of your head. Like, exactly. You can't escape the fact that it is. You know, you could say, oh, the Little Mermaid isn't, but I mean, it is. It effectively is. Something like Mary Poppins is like, 
even more than a family film, I would peg it as a musical because to me, it's got a lot of the connotations of like, uh, you know, you said My Fair Lady, like a My Fair Lady or uh, Sound of Music. I, I guess I can't get off the uh, Julie Andrews train, you know, but like they're obviously of the same. And she always gets typecast as this uh, sort of sweet lady who sings really sweet parts, usually playing a nanny. But if you watch Mary Poppins, that is not it. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing. Like, I feel like Julie Andrews is kind of single, like single noted in ways, but like that, that for sure is one of her more um, unique performances where she really is embodying a character. Um, perhaps not the one intended, but certainly the one that the film called for. James, have you seen it? Uh, I haven't seen it in years. Right, right. Well, I'd say it's worth a refresher. Yeah. Otherwise, um, it's time to do what Mary Poppins would do and let our minds wander and time to get really creative and imaginative. So, uh, Rachel, you asked us for the second half of this episode to pick a film that's not a musical and pray to God that it was not a Broadway because I don't know my Broadway that well. You never know. Um, for listeners at home, in case you're interested, uh, tons of things from Jerry Springer to The Silence of the Lambs have been converted into musicals, so you never know. <laughs> Uh, let's go with James first, maybe the same order. Um, what film did you pick to turn into a musical? And let's hope that it hasn't already been done. Oh, I checked and this one hasn't. So I was thinking, huh, what, what could I do that? What movie would I turn into a musical? And I decided to make it more fun. What bad movie oh, no. would I want to turn into a musical? Yes. I honestly think would improve it. Okay. So I decided to go with The Master of Disguise. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's no. fun, actually. Think about it. All the different characters he plays. Imagine all of them having their own musical number based on that character. Well, Kind Hearts and Coronets, which has a similar gag where, where somebody plays a whole bunch of different characters, has been adapted into a musical before. So it could totally work. Wait, it has? Yeah, uh, it's it's got a different name, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, but it's really great. It's a great show. Huh, okay. Uh, well, it's obviously multiple people playing the Alec Guinness characters, I'm guessing. Yes. Okay, so... No, it's one person playing the Alec Guinness characters. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Well, to or James's like, point... always done it. Like, there's 12 people and they play about 50 people. Okay. Well, there you go, to James's point. And again, back to my original point, I did not know that Kind Hearts and Coronets was turned into a musical. Everything's a musical. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> it really is a musical. But yeah, this one hasn't yet, and I'm surprised they haven't, because, yeah, it was a terrible movie, but... I, I could totally see someone turning that into a Broadway musical. Also, I, I think, you know, I think, you know, I'd like to hear Dana Carvey sing in all those different characters. So he's coming back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He'd have to. Like, for, for the first for the first Broadway one ever, it would have to be him. That would be really neat. Because as, as ridiculous as the movie is, his performance is just mind-blowing just the fact that he was able to pull off that many different personalities just for a single film hey, i mean if they can make reefer madness into a musical they can make the master disguise into a musical so at least that one i knew of i, I think because of you actually oh yeah um and like i wanted to do moonstruck for my portion of the episode but it's a musical see that i can imagine that kind of works there's like this new york charm to it you know anyway what did you pick andreas well, for me, it took a bit of thinking. Um, I, I was also trying to, like, first off, avoid things that were actually turned into musicals already. How far could I have gone with, like, 
okay, um, veering off the path of conventionality, but it also also wondering would it actually work. So I was trying to think along the lines of a film that I love, because that's also something that I wanted to do for this, something that I would actually like to see again in this type of form. Um, but also, again, like in the Bob Fosse vein, unconventional, so not like a uplifting, cheerful, theatrical musical. But at the same time, it has to be a musical as well. So I wonder if there's in any capacity in some alternative reality um, if David Lynch's Blue Velvet was a really good musical. I feel like... I'll be down for that. Yeah, like I feel like the... Uh, the soundtrack would be maybe a little bit theatrical. Let's be honest. I love David Lynch, but there's a little bit of cheesiness to his stuff. And I adore it. Um, secondly, because I feel like something like Twin Peaks would be like too ambitious. And Mulholland Drive, I just think is untouchable. Um, Blue Velvet is coherent enough narratively straightforward that you don't have to worry about that getting lost in the lyrics. And I feel like it's so bonkers, so out there that it kind of would work it wouldn't be like chipper you know again gene kelly or fred astaire type music numbers but something there i feel like it's kind of possible i think it could work andreas i hate to burst your bubble but no is it actually really it is it is it is in the works or it was in the works last i read oh my god you see case in point i did not know that i swear to god i made it come true clearly Ah, there you go. So um, what I think would really work is that you can have the small cast. Um, I feel like the characters as well, these all-American kind of people, and then you have something like Isabella Rossellini where you could to- easily toss in like maybe operatic numbers, um, but like the all-American people kind of embodying like that goody two-shoes vibes of like the 50s or the 60s. And then when everything kind of, kind of gets dark, you have like these morbid ballads. I I don't know. I feel like it's completely there and it calls for the theatrics that it would need. You, since you said David Lynch, I now want an Elephant Man musical. Well, that would be really sad. <laughs> Come on, that would be Imagine really how sad. Good it would be. Oh, man. Like, once he gets to like the whole um, uh, I am a human being number, I, I think I'd be um, cutting onions in the corner. You know, it, 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 I, don't, I don't know. I think I'd be a mess. <laughs> what about you, Rachel? What film and how hard was it also to pick a film to turn it to a musical? It's difficult because, you know, a lot of films I like just the way they are. I don't want them to change. I don't want to see a new version of them. And then other films have already been adapted, like all the usual suspects. Not actually the film, the usual suspects, as far as I know. Oh, please don't. The, the original's already bad enough. <laughs> but um, I decided to go with her. Oh, that, Okay. So for people who aren't familiar with this film, it starts Joaquin Phoenix as a guy who kind of has a difficult love life. And he's got several women in his life who are all different figures. And he falls in love with an AI system who is voiced by Scarlett Johansson. So the main thing about the film is that the most difficult part is to convince you that you can fall in love with an AI system. They have to make that system a believable character, which I think they succeeded in with the um with the film at Scarlett Johansson did a great job so 
for Broadway, you'd have to get a really stellar Broadway actress to do the voice. And actually, you could bring the same voice in every single production, which would be really neat. Like, I think John Cleese's voice is heard in every production of Spamalot because they just recorded it. So present for that. But you could do some really neat staging. And since it's kind of a story that doesn't require a huge set, you can do really creative things. There's lots of great parts in it, particularly for women. I could see it similar to Stephen Sondheim's company with that vibe. But I would like the creative team behind the stage version, not the movie version, of Evan, Dear Evan Hansen to do it. Because I have problems with Dear Evan Hansen the musical. It's kind of... the message doesn't age well, let's put it that way. But they did have very cool staging, and they did a really great portrayal of a character as a misfit, which the lead character of her is. So I think with that team behind it, and sort of drawing on other Broadway traditions, her could make a very neat show. What about something like minimalistic on stage, like uh, like a Philip Glass production, which quick shout out to Einstein on the Beach, by the way, which is just like a complete other form of genius. But And it's a film of high emotions, but they're emotions that can be translated pretty easily. The, the situations aren't super specific, so it would work very well. It's weird because outside of Moonsong, which I would easily rank as like a top 100 greatest original songs for, you know, and film history i think it's just a beautiful song i said that and you know like the score by members of arcade fire and, and owen pallet um there isn't really much of a musical quality to the film but at the same time as soon as you said it something just clicked where it's like that would be a good musical and i feel like it's because of its minimalist nature it's somewhat abstract so it lends itself to interpretation um on a state like I don't even know so much about the musical side of things. I think that would be great. But just imagining it on the stage in general, it's just so compact and precise. And it would be a great role for any young up-and-coming actor. Or voice actor or actress, especially for the AI part. I mean, that would be also like quite an interesting production to be a part of. Yeah, I couldn't get over how good a job Johansson did in the film. So it could really be a big break for somebody on stage. Yeah, especially because I believe the original AI was Samantha Morton, and I don't think it worked out. So um, Johansson was recording without actually conversing with anybody. She was just responding like herself, like through the lines, and she still nailed it. Like it still feels like a very fluid conversation, but at the same time, like um, this is very human, but it's still an AI, which I feel like was a very tough thing to pull off. Yeah, but you know, with the right team, maybe they could do it. Perhaps, perhaps. And on the topic of artificial intelligence and operating systems and everything, um, where can our listeners find us online? We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the K-Cut. And uh, we like to post little bits of trivia, tidbits, all that fun stuff. And our cinematic smorgasbord films for this month are ratatouille that's james's after hours that was mine andreas's is the good times kid and then our collective is of time in the city fantastic Alrighty, before we send everybody off into the night singing on their way home um what are our sorry what are our weekly recommendations going to be shall we stick with musicals um we can do mine's kind of on topic but it's not a musical so we can just go with what we feel like Sure. Well, 
Uh, for mine, I'll just stay on topic. Uh, deep down, I wanted to say the Phantom of the Paradise, the Phantom of the Paradise, but like we've we've talked about that before on the pod. Watch it anyway. I love it. But I'm going to try and single out another musical. Um, and this is one that was brought up by you, Rachel, not the musical itself, but like in my head because you kept bringing up Julie Andrews. And when I think of Julie Andrews, I think of Sound of Music, Mary Poppins, but something else, which is a little bit more uh, underrated, and that's Victor Victoria from 1982. Um, this Blake Edwards film is quite interesting. It deals a lot with gender bending, uh, particularly the Julie Andrews character who uh, who passes for for male female interpreter. Um, I think it's just such a fantastic performance from her. It's one of her best, alongside Mary Poppins. Um, the music itself is just so interesting, and I feel like the film itself is quite underrated. So, Victor Victoria, you won't want to miss it. Cool. Well, uh, I'll jump in with mine. So, I was thinking about Mary Poppins. I guess we're all just in a Julie Anders mood. But this movie doesn't actually have Julie Anders because it's called Saving Mr. Banks. And it is the backstory behind... Uh, the Mary Poppins filmmaking and how complicated it was, because I think a lot of people don't realize that production was kind of a mess. So it's got Emma Thompson as P.L. Travers, the original writer of Mary Poppins, and Tom Hanks as Walt Disney. And it's not the kind of movie that's going to light the world on fire, but it's a heck of a lot of fun, and Tom Hanks is perfect. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Tom Hanks as Walt Disney. I mean, it kind of just, just feels like ideal casting. James, what about you? So... I'm going to go with a film that we talked about a lot during Oscar season, Tick, Tick, Boom, because yes. that film got not nearly enough love as it should have. Justice for Garfield. That was that was one of the best movies, period, of the past, like, 20 years. It was just so good. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not usually into stuff like that, but that's what drew me. And it's like, I also find Lin-Manuel Miranda to be one of the corniest creators in art, in the art world right now. Uh-oh. But the... What he what he was able to do with that movie was just amazing. Yeah, and it was his first one as a film director. I keep forgetting that that's him because I whenever I think of that film, I just think immediately of Andrew Garfield. It's, it's a fair point. As yeah, yeah, as I should. Um, yeah, no, I feel like it's a it's a great way to send this episode off. So that was the K cut. Thank you so much for listening, um, Rachel. You can get back to singing if you so desire. We are now no, going. No, no. We are now going into the all cut.